Welcome to the High Tech Freedom Podcast. This is a podcast where we bring successful tech sales professionals, thought leaders, and entrepreneurs to share best practices, insights, and lessons learned with other tech sales professionals. As a sales professional, the more we learn, the more we earn. Once we earn it, how can we put those hard-earned commission dollars back to work to build additional income streams that will create the freedom we are all working to achieve? I'm your host, Chris Freeman. I'm a high-tech sales leader, real estate investor, and lifetime learner. All right, Marcus, welcome to the High Tech Freedom Podcast. How you doing? Dude, I'm good, man. I'm pumped to be here. Oh, I'm so happy to have you. And you know what? I am so excited to have a guest on who's actually sitting right here in my backyard. I should have come over. I don't know what we were thinking. We should have, we should have planned ahead. I should have just showed up like, hey, I'm ready to go. Yeah. Well, technically, you know, I'm sure we would have had all kinds of challenges if we did that. You know, I have a hard enough time just making everything work when I'm all planned out doing this remote, you know? Oh, yeah, that's fair. That's fair. That's fair. <laughs> well, so Marcus, um, so your your career, you were not necessarily, my audience is typically tech sales, software sellers, IT salespeople. So you were not in a technical sales role. What did you sell? Mm, great question. So a few different things, right? Well, first off, I only work for two major Fortune 500 companies. And the first one was Enterprise Commercial Trucks. So if you're familiar with Enterprise, rent a car, rent a car, people are very familiar with that. They had a B2B side they started up in Oregon in which it was 100% B2B where we had to go out and find prospects and, and sell and lease our box trucks, pickup trucks, et cetera, right? Very industrial sale. So I did that for several years, you know, ran team as well. I got them multiple times. And then I went to another company a few years in called Cintas Corporation. Both great companies, both massive Fortune 500 companies, both incredibly non-glamorous sales. Right. So like at Cintas, you know, we were selling anything from uniform services, like uniform laundry services, shirts and pants, to restroom supplies, to mat services, to, you know, toilet paper, cleaning chemicals, et cetera. So incredibly non-glamorous, not sexy, and quite very competitive and very, very boring, to be quite frank. So interesting. So, you know, I, I don't know. I, I think a lot of people without knowing that that business might think, well, how how is it competitive? Mm, great question. So what's interesting is like when a lot of times, the, a lot of time when you're selling things are highly commoditized, they pretty much everyone is a competitor to you. So for example, let's just talk about, say, like restroom supplies. So we had direct competitors that did exactly what we did from a service model perspective. But on top of that, think about where you get toilet paper and soap and stuff like that. You can go to Costco, Cash and Carry, Amazon, Dollar Tree. Um, there's a bunch of other smaller competitors as well. So like really anyone, anywhere will be able to provide that. So the interesting thing what I found is, first off, it's a very hard industry to sell successfully in. So most people are not able to sell successfully in that industry because they're hoping they have something cool, shiny, and new, and they hope the product sells itself. So what ends up happening is, is reps who came in with that mindset, they will always struggle. But when it's highly competitive and it's it's highly commoditized, it forces you to actually get really good at your sales process. Unless you want to play the numbers game of making thousands of cold calls a week and play that type of game. The only way to really win effectively in that in this in that world is you have to be really good at your whole sales process from prospecting all the way through the close. So I always find it really interesting because, you know, um, those who come from like a copier sales background, some again, very high commoditized, or they sold, uh, you know, Comcast or internet services, et cetera, again, highly commoditized, but those who consistently crush it, 
usually have a level of sales acumen that's far beyond a, a rep who has sold only something that's really cool, neat, and shiny. That's really interesting. So, so you're not doing that anymore, and we'll get to what you're doing now. But when you were doing that, and and you then were ultimately leading a team, hundred plus people. What are some of the things that you did have to do then to differentiate yourself from your competitors? I mean, it wasn't the product. So it, you know, with your sales process, how did you act or sell differently to, to continue to win? Great question. So this really, it applied to really entire sales process. I, I found when you sell something to really commoditize, every single thing matters. And I think on top of that as well, I started selling in the last recession. Again, something highly commoditized. So when you're selling things that are highly commoditized, there's a lot of competition, it requires you to control what you can't control. So for example, even simple as when you're targeting and you're going after prospects, if you're going too low a level, like imagine like trying to cold call a low-level manager by trying to get them to switch to toilet paper. Like, like they don't they don't care, right? You can never lead with a proc on a cold call. You can never lead with a proc on a discovery call. You can never ever lead with a product because you knew it's like they would just it would, it would be thrown into what they call the sea of sameness. It's all the same, right? Like what's the difference here? Like they're not gonna be filling your toilet paper versus theirs. They're not gonna be filling the, the clothes that you can you could sell to them versus someone else's clothes. They're just like they don't care. They're not thinking about it, right? So that means you have to be highly effective in uh, number one, either targeting or targeting, going to the right people within the deal cycle, being able to multi-thread effectively and navigate the process of all the buying influences effectively. You have to be able to take someone who has not an active pain, but a latent pain, meaning it's an underlining pain. They don't even know it exists. And you need to be like extrapolating, widen that gap. So they see so much pain in their current situation that they have to make a change. And only when you're able to do that are you able to actually effectively close these opportunities, right? So ultimately, it was much less forgiving, right? Like, in and when when you when you realize that, and you realize if if I can control every process as much as I can, if I keep running the same objections, then I, I have to get better upfront. On top of that, the industry I was even selling into typically had five year contracts, so you, it was also a contractual based sale. So not only was it high competitive, it also had, it was also contractual based sale. So if you weren't good. If they said, oh, we're under contract, we just renewed for five years, the average rep's like, all right, I'll see you later. You have to be very good to actually overcome the objection, get into the opportunity, and be able to widen the gap of so much pain that they're willing to take action, break their contract, and switch to you. And again, that takes a level of influence and skill to be able to do that. Otherwise, you become an order taker, and order takers would not survive in that industry. Yeah, yeah that's really interesting. So what is, what is an example of that latent pain that you're trying to expand? And uh, let's just take the CentOS world. Beautiful, great, great, great example. So let's just say, for example, um, let's just say if it's if it was a uh, let's call it an HVAC company, right? It's a plumbing company, very industrial. Let's just say they have fifty employees, and one of the competitors that we would have an indirect competitor would be maybe they, they're just like buying like maybe like logoed shirts on Amazon, logoed shirts, logoed pants, etc. Right? Because they want to maybe maybe look a certain part. So what would so the way we'd be able to create massive pain to make a shift is well number one we would actually dive in deep to uncover what's their current situation what are they currently doing right and they'll usually tell us oh we have we have fifty employees you know we buy them five shirts five pants they wear them every single day and then they th they find it's gonna be okay for their situation so then we start diving in deeper like how uh, how do the employees maintain the shirts and pants 
How do they, you know, why do they, why did they to begin with? And usually it's because they want to portray professional image, look a certain way, make sure they don't have like, you know, a smelly HVAC guy showing up on, on their, on those uh, customers' doorsteps or the businesses. So they would have underlying reasons. So we, we'd have to be able to un uncover what was the underlying uh, reason why they were even making a decision to buy stuff to begin with. So when you start uncovering what those are and, how, and uncover how it actually ties to their core issues of the business, you start realizing it's not that they, they just buy shirts and pants to make their employees look good. It's that they buy shirts and pants to make their employees look good. So this way they look professional. So ultimately they can get more recurrent business and ultimately grow the business from 10 mil ARR a year to 20 mil ARR a year. Because ultimately at the very heart of it, the CEO wants to be known as Inc. 5000 fastest growing company in Oregon. Something like that. So when you start uncovering to that deep level, and you can only do through a really good discovery, when you go that deep, now suddenly, when you know their current state and their future desired state, you can you can now widen the gap, and now you start you can start diving into their current situation, uncovering how the employees maintain their clothes. What does that look like? What happens if they come up with torn shirts? What happens if they tear a shirt on the job? What happens if they get stains on a shirt? How they actually wash it? Do they like doing that? Right? Do they like washing dirty clothes? So you start diving into these situ the situation, and suddenly, before you know it, that gap is widening. And what they didn't realize, what they thought was like a little scratch in their arm, maybe, oh, it's 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 fine. I don't need to do anything about it. Is now a, a, a gushing laceration. Yeah. So this this requires a level of acumen of actually understanding a business, but also being able to ask those questions to such a granular, deep level where where they are and where they want to go is now so wide. They're like, we have to make a change. So ultimately, in that process. The, well, a lot of people are, are not able to do effectively is most people are order takers, meaning they get a call. Like, do you have this pain? No, I don't. Okay. See you later. Right. A highly effective elite sales professional is able to go deep and uncover that pain and make them aware of the pain through asking questions. Like I just, I just showed an example. And now before you know it, before you even show your solution, they are 100% sold on the first thing, which is they must make a change. Right. But once you do that, then you can pre present your solution. So that's a long answer to how how do you create pain in this situation? Uh, it's really interesting. So listeners, listen to what he just said. Absolutely no different than what we do in technology sales, right? It's the current state, the future state. Where are they at? What what are they not able to do? What's the impact to the business? And then you know when you get to the future state. Um, what does that life look like? How is business different? How are we impacting in the economic buyer in some way? And the the other thing that you touched on, Marcus, which I, I just want to go back to for a moment, is process, right? You had a process. And I was just on a, a podcast with uh, Brian Burns. He's got a real successful show. He's awesome. And, uh, you know, we were talking and he and I see things, uh, you know, very similar in a lot of a lot of ways. But uh, we're, we're both huge believers of a sales process. And it doesn't have to be the specific process the company says this is what you need to do because everybody sells a little bit different it's how you connect but you better have a process um the other piece that you touched on was do your homework right you have to do the research in order to be able to even have an opinion to probe and maybe position how life could be different for that business it's interesting so you're, all right so now you're doing sales training and sales coaching for individual contributors companies what does that consist of Primarily ICs, individual contributors, right? Okay. So what's really interesting is like, um, and even before I got into doing that specifically, so because when I was in corporate America, so I left, I, I I left corporate America back in September 19, 2019. And before even this current business now, it actually was a side hustle. And what was really interesting was um, running big teams, having a lot of fun, doing all that stuff. 
And, you know, I started kind of learning about internet marketing, how to like create like online courses, et cetera. And I actually created my first version and, and I launched it in January, 2019. And what was really interesting was like, I just didn't know how to do it. I wasn't really posting on LinkedIn. I didn't have much of an audience. I kind of, let's see what happens. Right. And people bought it. That was cool. It was a validation that people would buy it. Right. But here's what's really interesting. Right. At this point, to be quite frank with you, I was very concerned and worried. Would what I learned over the years apply to any other industry? Like, would it work? Like, maybe I got lucky. Maybe like it's just only for this industry that's like weird and gritty and industrial. In, even though we sell to like everyone, you know, hospitals, healthcare, doctors, surgeons, to low level plumber, like everyone, so everyone. But in my head, I was still like doubtful, right? But what was really interesting was that first version of the of that course I launched. And people were buying, and they were all types of industries, and they were in SaaS. There was like they were in IT, they were in consulting, they were like in healthcare. They saw all types of things, and they started getting results. And that's when I realized process matters, just like you mentioned, right? Process really matters. So that was really really neat. But to to go back to what you mentioned about um, you know ICs versus uh, businesses, well, it was really interesting as well because um, the way I model my business is different than a lot of sales coaches out there. A lot of sales coaches out there primarily want to go after corporate clients, which I understand why. It can be really good money. It, you know, it's like it's you know, it's like a big gig. It's it's cool. That's fun, right? Um, because I ran big teams for so long, and on top of that, I also trained a lot of other teams as well. Um, I always found if I did a big group training, let's say I had, say I had a couple hundred reps in a room, and I did a big a group training, I always broke it down where it's like I knew maybe five to ten percent would would like take what I'm they're learning execute and get incredible results. I knew probably 20% would say, Mark, it sounds amazing. sounds really, really good. Love it. But they would probably not take action. Inconsistent. And then the other 70% would not even want to be there, right? Because their, their boss made them go to the training, right? So, and I, I never enjoy. I didn't enjoy that. I, I didn't feel good for me, right? And when I started the business, at this point, I was, I was stacking tons of cash and capital. You know, I, I didn't have to work. So I'm like, if I, if I could design my business, and not just try to chase the money and go after a big corporate client, but if I could just focus on helping past version of me when I struggled, right? Helping that person, right? Just thrive in sales. That's what I'll do. So that's why, uh, why, why I left corporate America, retired at 35. I went and started that business and I focused 100% on individual contributors because ultimately, um, I find it much more rewarding when they get results and they are, their lives are impacted because ultimately, um, you know, this is about freedom, right? When you can make a, a boatload of money in sales, and then you have excess capital to do what you want with it, do whatever you want with it. It gives you choices. Yeah. And ultimately, you put yourself in a position where you live a fire lifestyle, financial dependence, retire early. And that is one of the best lives you ever live, in my opinion. Well, I think you just answered one of my questions I was going to ask you uh, <laughs> coming up here is, you know, when you were crushing it, right? Because you were pretty young and doing great every year, 200% of plan, whatever. Uh, you know, what did you do with some of those harder commission dollars to redeploy it and invest in yourself or your future, whatever it might be? And it sounds like you put it in your business. So there's a few, few different areas, right? So, you know, I think it's, I think you go through evolutions in life, right? In seasons, like I think like early on, um, I started in the last recession when I started selling. So everyone's like scared. This is my first recession I've ever been through. Everyone's scared, but like I'm starting to make money. I'm like, cool, that's really neat. So ultimately, I always think there's many opportunity vehicles to invest into, right? And you have to kind of choose what's best for you. And I'm really simple. I, I like to think in terms of numbers. It's it's like it's like what will always give you the highest possible ROI. So I was also one of those guys where because I grew up so poor, um, and it, 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 like I was 
cheap. I was cheap. Let's be real. I was very, very cheap, right? Like I was that guy. Like I still make my own coffee to this day, right? Like, like I, I don't have to go to Starbucks. Like I'm, I'm st- I still live like a very frugal lifestyle, but on things I really like, I'll, I'll put money into. So early on, I literally was living off my base. So any commissions I made, I would save or invest, right? I would save or invest. Now, um, it, it wasn't like I got flashy, cool things early on. Like early on, like I knew, like I wanted to invest into assets, not liabilities, right? Which I'm sure you're obviously very familiar with that. So I'm like, I, I didn't want, like, when I started making like my first commission, I didn't go get like a brand new Rolex first. I didn't go and just, you know, buy a brand new car. I kept driving my beat up Honda <laughs> for years, right? For as long as I could. And that's completely paid off. And I was taking those commissions and I invested into the first thing, which when I still invest until this day, but the first thing, which gave me the highest ROI, which was myself, right? Which is skill stacking. Because I knew if I invest into myself, regardless of the recession, I could stack skills. I could stack skills, I could stack habits, and I could become the best version. Because eventually early on, I, I also learned when you work hard at your job, you make a living. When you work hard on yourself, you make a fortune. That's what Jim Rohn said. So that's what I did. So I started investing into like sales skills, leadership skills, mindset skills. I started going to conferences like Tony Robbins conferences. I started getting a lot of books. I started looking for coaches, masterminds, and mentors. That's what I first started investing into. And I started investing into that. Was, that was like, that opened my eyes. Like, I mean, it's like when you hang with people that are like making like $2 million a month, you're kind of like, I guess I'm not that good. <laughs> like, like making six figures as, as a young rapper, you're like, oh, geez, like you make that in like a day. <laughs> like it gives you, perspective right right perspective that you don't really have that i didn't really have growing up i grew up poor right i grew up other, around other poor people so it starts shaking your paradigm so that was the first thing i started investing to right and then i started into, like there were other things like i, I want to buy my first house i was stacking some cash with my first house um i really it was what else did i buy so definitely that was for sure i started just uh investing into the market not a lot just invest in the market like, m- doing the basics of the time you know, maxing out your 401k maxing out your roth ira until you can't do it anymore because you, you make too much i started um uh you know started buying some you know uh, index funds mutual funds etc um i started doing that i really spent like no money on myself like you know people would, would really call like, i still like i would like clip coupons go out to eat <laughs> You know, like I was cheap, right? So now over time, because you know, um, naturally as your life progresses, you start making more, 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 and you have kind of that lifestyle creep as well. I started finding better value and also things that would um pay longer dividends. Or honestly, longer there were good investments myself, such as like higher quality food, right? Like higher quality food, um, you know, like drinking if you're drinking alcohol i didn't i don't drink anymore but drinking, drinking alcohol like higher quality alcohol just like stuff is better quality right because like you know you, you live so cheap for so long but you start messing those type of things um but i really didn't go i really let me think for a second my first probably flashy thing was probably 2014 and that was it but like everything else it was like it was like it was so boring it was like, the most boring things <laughs> like it's all it was. assets 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 myself and assets all it was <laughs> Yeah, well, we're probably very similar in that area. I, 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 w- I did splurge once. I mean, I'm sure I splurged more than once. But when I got my first big vendor job, I went out and I dumped the. Uh, I had purchased at the time. I had purchased my company car, which was a Chevy Lumina, so nothing fancy. I got a super cheap. Yeah, there, you, there you go. <laughs> but I, when I, when I got this first big vendor job, big pay bump. Yeah, I don't know. I, I got sucked into the excitement of it. I went out and leased an M, M3 BMW. Yeah. Yep. And it was fun for a while, but then I quickly realized that, you know what, that's not what I want. Um, so I ended up turning it back in early. And I think I went out and bought a, uh, a Pontiac Grand Prix with 62,000 miles and I drove yeah. the wheels off that thing. <laughs> <laughs>
Before we jump into the topic, I wanted to let you know that we just launched a monthly drawing for one of our insulated high-tech freedom tumblers. Now, I've been sending these out as a thank you gift to each of our guests, and the response has been great. You know, everyone has a full-size coffee cup, a Yeti, or whatever brand that they might use, but not everybody has the small tumbler that you can put your wine or beverage of choice in. And they're great for the deck, beach, camping, or just, you know, just keeping your drink warm or cold. Now, I'm not selling these, but I am excited about them. So we decided to offer these up to the loyal podcast listeners by doing a monthly drawing. So if you're interested, go to hightechfreedom.com forward slash mug, that's M-U-G, and you'll see a picture of the Tumblr and you can enter. We'll just collect your name, phone number, and email. And if you do win, we'll then follow up and ask for your mailing address so we know where to send it. If you don't win, your name stays in so you don't need to re-enter. I want to go back to uh, back to a point that you made, and I actually have an episode on owning your own personal development plan coming out in a couple of weeks. Uh, so my solo episodes are on Friday, so go check those out if you're listening right now. But in that, I do talk about you know it's unfortunate, especially in the tech world, companies they'll give you a ton of training, but it's product training, it's product messaging. They're not, and if you do get a sales training class, man, embrace it, enjoy it but then they never reinforce it. So it's a one and done and they move on. So I think ultimately the most successful people that I know, they own their own development plan. They kind of figure out the skills gaps. They go pay for additional sales training. They read a ton of books, they apply it. So you know, if you haven't done that yet, it's never too learn. I, I believe that if you're, once you stop learning, you stop growing, you stop growing your wealth. You just never can stop. So Correct. it's interesting to hear you say that. No, totally. So Marcus, all right. So now you're training a bunch of salespeople, taking all these great lessons that you learned. And by the way, you were successful all the time. So you know, you're, you were, had a chance to apply these skills and, and started to see some success with the people that you were helping. Now, fast forward, you've been doing this for a little while. What are you seeing from some of those successful people that you work with? Uh, maybe that's different from the rest of the pack. Sure. Um, well, and I think what I'm going to say next, is my, it's going to be probably wildly underwhelming, to be quite frank, right? But I find the most successful students in the program simply do the fundamentals insanely well, so consistently without fooling themselves to try something different and new. Mm -hmm. And at the end of the day, um, when you think about the basics of sales, it's actually not that hard, right? You think it's like you find qualified prospects, you uncover major pains, you solve a problem, and you make sure you're the, the number one option to have them invest. That's it at sales in a nutshell. Now, simple say, hard to do. And I find a lot of times people, they, they start doing something that works well, they stop doing it, right? And that, that's just the reality. But if you're able to maintain consistency and you have an unbiased way of having massive awareness of what you're doing, it's very, very important. So let me give you a really, really simple example. And this applies even to my own business. Right. So when I started my own business, because before I hired a team, before any work worked for me, I ran all my own sales calls. Right. But what I would do is I know I will fool myself. Like I know our brains tell ourselves stories that oftentimes are not true. They will validate our own fears, our own beliefs, and they'll create false re realities around us. So if if I had, let's just say, a bad day or a bad week of sales calls, I'm like, we didn't make any money this week. 
right? It's easy for me to say, oh, it was bad prospects. It was bad data. It was bad leads, bad whatever. Well, I would, I would look at the data. I would look at every conversion, every part of that funnel, and I'll listen to my own sales calls. And I simply would go back like, oh, you know what? I just, I botched this part. I really didn't do a good job here. I really could elaborate deeper into the pain here. I really could have dove deeper into the cost of action, quantify that more. So they were able to internalize and dive in deeper into the actual impact, right? So what happens is when you, when you have a level of self-awareness or you force yourself to have this level of self-awareness, it forces you to pause and actually reflect and become better. Mm-hmm. So part of it, I find a lot of times is like these top performers is number one, they do the, the basic fundamentals really really freaking well, just like any athlete, right? The number two, they constantly are looking for feedback loops. What are the feedback that says, hey, do something different? But they have habits and they don't wait till it's reactive. Like they, they wait, they, they, they're intentional about it. If they start seeing dips in any type of lagging indicators, they're like, I'm gonna make a shift right now. Yeah. Right? And there are patterns everywhere we go, right? So for example, I know Naturally, with the business model I'm in, uh, working if, if we're if we're if we're, we're going to have a nat- naturally slower back in December, right? Because of the holidays, et cetera. And I know the start could be slow as well if we're not if we're not careful. So what did I do instead? I built promotions around the times before to juice it up because I knew it would flow into the fall. That's why we're having a banner January, right? Because there's patterns everywhere. When we pause and actually look at data points and we look for patterns, we can actually become better. And top athletes, top sales professionals know that to be true. And the top athletes, they get the data, they remove the bias of what's in their mind, and they make better decisions that are objective that pay long-term dividends. Yeah. You know, and uh, it sounds like as you approach that, you're pretty diligent. You have, it sounds like you're probably documenting metrics and things. But, you know, just kind of for you, the listener, right? Let's say you're a field seller. If you just start by consistently doing something, and doing the fundamentals and you start consistently doing those fundamentals kind of the same day, the same way, whatever it might be, you're smart enough to then quickly pick up on those patterns because you start to see the change. And if if you're erratic with how you approach your business or how you approach your week, it's hard to even know what to tweak or what to change. And, and I think that's where people get disillusioned in the business. They have a hard time explaining to their manager where they're struggling because they can't really explain to their manager what they're doing on a consistent basis. So I, I love the uh, the funnel, uh, getting back to the basics, basically doing the fundamentals and doing the fundamentals consistently. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think what's key is you have to have ways to monitor your own progress and you can't rely on your manager to bring it up to you. Like this is where I think a mistake a lot of people make is they wait until their manager brings it up to them. Yeah, you shouldn't. If you, once your manager brings it up to you, I guarantee you they've already been talking about a PIP. They've already been talking performance plan. At that point, you're already in the red zone. So don't wait till you're in that bad spot. Be proactive and then work around it, right? So I'll give you a really simple example. So like to make, to, let's do some simple math. Let's just say, for example, if you have an annual quota of $500,000 and your tar- the personal goal for yourself is you want to do a million dollars. So you want to sell a million dollars. Now, the mistake reps make is even from a data perspective, like, cool, I'm going to go generate about a million dollars in pipeline. Well, is it likely you can close 100% of your target of, a, of your pipeline? No way. It's impossible, right? So what you really need to do, once, once you actually know the data points, you start working backwards, you start working the math. It's like, okay, you know what? Actually, I have a 25% closing ratio, generally speaking. So let me, I need to have at least 4X pipeline. Let me go work concerned. Let me go 5X pipeline. Let me go and generate now 5 million pipeline. And now let me break that down granularly where my behaviors every single day, every single week align to driving towards 5 million pipeline. 
So we start thinking this way, your behaviors actually shift and you actually start doing different things because now you're working at a higher expectation. And we start thinking this way, your behavior shifts because now if you're feeling pretty good about the, your current state, things change all the time. You know, deals get stalled, recession hits, people get weird. So you control what you can't control. So you can actually move forward, but only when you actually know your numbers and you are skeptical about every deal in your pipeline and you prepare for the worst, expect the best, can you play to win consistently? That's how you win every single year is you play a different game than everyone else. You play the grandmaster, you play three to five moves ahead versus only playing day by day, week by week, month by month. Yeah. Well, and when you're taking that mindset, right, and you've got that longer term plan, um, you're able to get through the bumps and the hurdles within the business, right? If you're stuck in the week or in the day, you know, you get distracted, you get set off course, and you're a ship without a rudder. Um, well, well, I think this is a good transition, Marcus. So, you know, we are going into maybe some turbulent times within the marketplace, maybe a recession, lots of layoffs. I mean, every day, you know, I think tech has had, what did I hear? 54,000 layoffs this morning in the Wall Street Journal. So, how does a rep need to be thinking and working differently as we go into a downturn that might last a couple of years? Mm. Well, I think the first piece is um, is understanding this is actually a gift. And a lot of times people may not see this, they see it that way because of the layoffs, but the reality is frustration breeds innovation. So if you understand that to be true, and you also understand that there's so many uncontrollables that you can't control, you can't control the recession, you can't control that Microsoft says, to thousands of jobs. You can't control the decide to shut the division down. You can't control if they have any layoffs, right? All you can really control are two things, your attitude and the actions you take. So if you know that to be true, you focus on what you can control. So, and ultimately when you focus on what you can't control, suddenly what happens is life starts changing for the actual better because you, you really don't care about the, the reaction or what happens. You, ca- you just care about the process because you detach from the outcomes. Because the reality is you could be the number one person at your company out of thousands of reps, and you could still get laid off if they decide to completely shut that division down. Right? That happens, right? Or you can be the number one rep, and suddenly you get a new boss, and they just don't like you. Stuff happens all the time. So if you know that to be true, you realize, yeah, recessions get a little scary, but ultimately, this is an opportunity to actually rise up. Because what's going to happen, this is a cool part. This is my favorite part about recession. It clears the path. Anybody who is an order taker, who is average, will get eviscerated. They won't make it. They'll go into other departments. They'll go do something different. Maybe they'll go back to school. Not that there's anything wrong with that, but they will go and have to do something different because order takers simply will not survive. Mm -hmm. Now, if you want to actually thrive, you start focusing on things that can actually help make you better, right? So for example, when I saw the recession coming really over a year ago, a couple of years, really, I'm like, okay, I'm going to double down my business. I'm going to double down myself. And the best investment you can always make is always going to be in yourself. So how can you stack skills to where you want to go? I think the important thing to understand is you look at, you first, number one, look at look ahead, three, five, 10 years down the road. Where do you want to go? Who do you want to become? What skills do you need to build now to prepare for that? Very important. You just want to start expanding your time horizon beyond what you're currently living to a future. This could be 10 years out. And when you start to understand what those are and you get clarity on what the end goal is and why it's important to you, now you start working on skill to really improve, right? So I'll give you a really, really simple example. In the last recession, I didn't know it to be until I was in the last recession. In the last recession, it was scary, but I also knew future-wise, I wanted to run big teams. I wanted to be seen as someone powerful. Right, it sounds egotistical, but that was, I just want to be seen as someone with status because I grew up with no status. I want to be seen as important. So I want to be like an exec. So I'm like, interesting. What skills would I have to have 
to be an exec. I need to be able to communicate. I need to be able to influence. I need to be able to lead big teams. I need to become a best version of me. I need to embody the ideal exec. So I started investing in skills and being around the right people that would get me there, right? And for listeners out there, that's what you want to do. Think three to five years down the road, 10 years down the road if you can, 20 years even better. Who do you want to become? What are those habits? What are those skills? What are the, what's the mission? What's the values? What are the skills you have to acquire now? And start acquiring them now. If you start acquiring them now, you can start, you, you, then you have, a, you have time. Time is your, is your gift, right? And you start becoming better. But ultimately, what will not help you is if you do absolutely nothing. So you get clear where you want to go, you start taking the right actions, and you start surrounding yourself with the right things to actually give yourself the highest chance for success. And you focus religiously on the process. And you don't deviate. And you commit to it, and you go all in. Because that's ultimately how you will build something great. Yeah, I totally agree. So I was just flipping through my notebook that I have here because I, uh, you know, I have, uh, it's now my nine-year plan and I'll just show here, mm, but I've got my nine-year plan, it. my four-year plan. They were 10 and, you know, I'm a little bit older than you, so they used to be 20, right? But sure. Yeah. And I, I look at those, I look at the nine-year plan and the four-year plan once a week and I do, I look at my annual plan every, every single day, but your point about the recession, maybe things do slow down a little bit. Maybe you find that you have a little bit of time on your hands. Fill that gap with things that'll help you get towards those things. So I'll give you a quick example. Uh, during the last recession, I was in a space where I was selling a large telco service provider type of company. So there was only so many prospects in my patch and um, it was slow. And so I would spend part of my day, I'd take one account and I would spend literally three hours researching that account, going through scenarios, creating pages of, uh, of notes, just so I could be absolutely prepared for that next meeting. And fast forward, we ended up doing like a $10 million deal with them. Now, granted, my quota was 20 million back then. So that was only 50% of play. But I had I had I had coworkers that were zero. You know, it was kind of a it was a peaks and valley. You do you might do one deal all year. But I guarantee you that deal would not have happened had I not been spending those hours just researching, digging, game planning, right? Just what what if type scenarios. So fill the time. Well. I think you make you make such a great point, right? Because it's like it's filling your time, but filling your time with what's called, I call IPAs, income producing activities. Yes, like when you're selling enterprise opportunities, right? That are eight figures plus. You know, like every detail matters. Right? Like, like by the time you get them in that meeting, if you only have fifteen minutes, you know every single second is is highly valuable. So you did the income producing activities that actually will move the needle forward. And I think a lot of mistake a lot of people make is. Oh, recession's tough. I'm not as busy. They kind of go through the motion. They lack intention. Right. But if you actually pause and you focus on really improving what you do, like what you do in that time frame of work, you can actually have a, have a far greater output. And I'll give you a really simple example. So every single year, uh, but by the way, I love that you review your goals cons consistently. Everyone should do that. But every single year, I do a time audit of myself, even today. Right? I just did this, this actually did last week. So what I, what I do is for a whole week, from the time I wake up to the time I go to bed, every 30 minutes, it's on the Google share, right? Tell what I did, right? And then when, what happens is like, it gives you so much awareness to where the distractions are and what's going on, et cetera. So when you start having that awareness, you start realizing, crap, like there's some leaky holes in my calendar. Let me, what can I do to eliminate those gaps? Right, you start you start finding those flaws, you start removing them. So this way, ultimately you do more. And I find oftentimes in order to actually add or multiply you need to eliminate and subtract first but it starts with that self-awareness because you can only remove stuff only if you're aware it's actually there and hurting you 
Yeah. Well, Marcus, I really appreciate your time today. I'll put your uh, contact uh, information in the show notes. What What is your preferred way if somebody wants to reach out? What is your preferred way to connect up? Cool. Uh, hit me up on LinkedIn. Just look at Marcus Shan. Uh, it's a bright yellow profile headshot. Probably the easiest way to uh, reach out to me or head to my website, sixfiguresalesacademy.com. And the name of your book that you have out there? Six Figure Sales Secrets. So we just hit the Wall Street Journal bestseller list a little bit ago. So if you want a free copy, just head to closewithchan.com. Just cover shipping and handling. Yes. And make sure I get that link. We'll put that in the show notes. Cool. Marcus, thanks for your time. Really look forward to meeting you in person here in Portland and uh, love to have you come back on again. Thanks for having me on. Thank you. Thanks again for joining us today. To get more sales and real estate tips, you can subscribe to our newsletter at hightechfreedom.com. You can also join our private Facebook and LinkedIn group that is exclusively for sales professionals. If you found a nugget of good information in the podcast, please subscribe, give us a positive rating and write a review. If there is a topic that you would like us to cover in the future, please send us a note through our website at hightechfreedom.com. Until next week, make this your best week ever.